This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. What it do? Hardwood Knox listeners, I am Dan Favalli coming at you without Andy Bailey this time. I am, however, super pleased to be joined by Seth Partnow. He is an NBA analyst for The Athletic, also the co-host of the Nerder She Wrote podcast for The Athletic, along with Dave Dufour, and, as you know him, Mo DeKeel, familiar voice, I guess, around these parts, we could put it. Seth is also formerly the director of basketball research for the Milwaukee Bucks, and he started out writing for Nylon Calculus, brilliant basketball mind. Follow him on Twitter at S-E-T-H-P-A-R-T-N-O-W. That's at Seth Partnow. I'll be plugging it again when I actually speak with him. Before we get started in asking Seth about small sample sizes, what he's looking at when evaluating lineups, the mid-range jumper, we also talk about his biggest disappointments and surprises of the season thus far. I do have to remind you to continue rating, reviewing, and subscribing to Hardwood Knox on iTunes. We can be found wherever else you are also consuming your podcast. iTunes is still the best way that you can help out the pod, though. Subscribe, write a review if you have not already. Definitely throw us a five-star rating. You can put whatever else from there in the review, whether you have feedback, comments, want to talk about how great you think that my hair looks like in real life. I appreciate it all. Andy appreciates it all as well. We're really trying to see those numbers go up. And we know, based on the number of downloads we get every episode, there are thousands of you who have not rated us, reviewed us yet. And if you have done all those things, one, we love you, and two, recommend us. Shout-outs to friends as we continue to try to build up the Hardwood Knox podcast this season. Steal people's phones. Subscribe them to the Hardwood Knox podcast. They will thank you later. Even simple retweets, shout-outs on Twitter. We appreciate all of those. Follow the show on Twitter at Hardwood Knox. You can follow me on Twitter at Dan Favale, F-A-V-A-L-E. You can also follow Andy on Twitter at Andrew D. Bailey. Lastly, but certainly not least, you can follow Blue Wire on Twitter at Blue Wire Pods. With all the housekeeping notes out of the way, we now get to a fun discussion, I thought, with Seth Partnow of The Athletic. Ever see an untucked button down? They look bad. And why? Because they weren't meant to be worn that way. Thankfully, there's Untuck It, the original button-down shirt actually designed to be worn untucked. No matter your size or shape, Untuck It shirts always fall at the perfect untucked length. And with the holidays near, there's no better gift for your favorite guy who needs an upgrade. As someone who does wear the more-than-occasional button-down, it does frustrate me to no end when I wear them untucked and they don't look great. They hang too low. They they ride up. I've tried to do the French tuck, the quarter tuck, whatever it is to make it look a little bit better. It still sucks. The untucked shirts, you don't have to deal with such unsightliness. They look good. They're meant to be worn untucked. And so you can wear them with confidence. Don't even really have to check yourself in the mirror to see how they sit because you know they're going to sit just right. 
So whether you're shopping for the perfect holiday gift or just trying to craft a smart, relaxed style of your own, Untuck It is the way to go. Visit untuckit.com and use promo code BLUE for 20% off at checkout. That's U-N-T-U-C-K-I-T dot com and promo code BLUE for 20% off. Support for Blue Wire and this Hardwood Knox podcast comes from Manscaped, who is number one in men's below-the-belt grooming. Manscaped offers precision-engineered tools for your family jewels. I'm going to be bluntly honest here. Maybe divulge a little too much information. I hate body hair. Hate it. All of it, except what's on my head and then my eyebrows, I suppose. And so through a lifetime of trying to keep myself smooth and hairless, there's been a lot of, let's say, painful trial and error. That's why Manscaped has redesigned the electric trimmer. Their lawnmower 2.0 has proprietary skin-safe technology, so this trimmer won't nick or snag your nuts. Manscaping accidents are finally a thing of the past. And don't use the same trimmer on your face as you're using on your balls. That is actually disgusting, guys. Manscaping also has the Crop Preserver, an anti-chafing ball deodorant and moisturizer. You already put deodorant on your armpits. Why are you not putting deodorant on the smelliest part of your body? Get 20% off and free shipping with the code BLUEWIRE at manscaped.com. Always use the right tools for the job. Your balls will thank you. Trust me. Again, get 20% off and free shipping with the code BLUEWIRE at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com and use code BLUEWIRE. What it do, Hardwood Knocks listeners? I am Dan Favalli coming at you without my co-host Andrew D. Bailey this time. I am, however, super pleased to be joined by Seth Partnow. You should be following him on Twitter at Seth Partnow, S-E-T-H-P-A-R-T. N-O-W. He is an NBA analyst for The Athletic. He was also previously the director of basketball research for the Milwaukee Bucks. So super excited to be joined by him today. Make sure you're following him on Twitter if you're not already. You you probably are, though. Seth, how are you doing today? Doing all right. It's uh, it's another wintry day here in Milwaukee, and you know the whole family has a cold, so it's uh, good times. But other than that, we're doing great. Are you a winter person? I have my co-host is in Wyoming and was telling me about the blizzard they had in the lead up to Halloween and I'm not in a warm climate but that that type of weather would bother me. Um I'm not really a winter person but I've only ever lived in wintry places so um that just means I'm a glutton for punishment I think. <laughs> um so I've gotten in the habit before we get into like the actual nitty-gritty bas- basketball stuff of asking guests how do they how do you league pass? Is it you know, because sometimes there are so many games on. Are you zeroing in on one? Are you hopping around? Do your writing projects dictate what you're watching? Is it is it the other way around? I'm just always curious how some of the, the brighter basketball minds are, are handling the, the league pass slates. Um, I, I wish I was more disciplined about how I do it. I'm definitely a bounce around guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and I, I kind of, I wish I was able to, uh, you know, just kind of... Uh, Take, pick a game or two a night and and stick with them and and but the the problem is is you know you get to halftime and there's six other choices and you flip over and then oh whoops the we're already four minutes left in the third quarter and it's a 14 point game in the game <laughs> I was watching so I guess I'll stay here um so I I I, I wish I was I've never been someone who's been able to okay I gotta make sure that I haven't I haven't seen the Blazers in 
in uh, just to pick a team. I haven't seen the Blazers in in in, in ten days, so I got to make sure to watch them tonight. I, I like. I wish I was able to stick to that kind of schedule, but even even when I try to, I just I kind of just can't do it that way. So I sort of bounce bounce around, and I tend to. I there there tends to be teams that interest me that I like tend to just stick with and um you know and 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 watch them for uh, fairly intently for you know a, a a good stretch of games and then kind of move on to another team um it's sometimes dictated by stuff I'm writing about and sometimes just kind of what's a bit more interesting to watch right now yeah I'm this has been an unpopular opinion so far but I get a little overwhelmed by the large slates and so I have to like almost focus in on one or two games where I feel like I'm just not taking away as much and I envy anyone that can really just sort of sort of bounce around and still get the more than just a, a general idea of what was happening I mean I think honestly that's probably the more productive way to do it um and I just you know I, I'm spoiled for choice and, and, <laughs> and can't make myself do that. Have you found it? I know you were based out of Alaska at one point. Have you found it? Is it better watching and covering the games from the time zone that you're in now? Or unless I'm completely no. off on time zones here, did you enjoy having no. all those games early? No, the Alaska time zone was a, I, I've, I've said this before. The Alaska time zone was a huge cheat code uh, when I was kind of uh, uh, before, before I went to the Bucks. being able the game starting at three o'clock, ending at nine o'clock um, was, was really allowed for a, a, especially for someone who was doing kind of the basketball analysis as a as a as a side gig at the time, right. like it 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 actually made for workable days, um, you know, longer days, but workable. And that you know, you kind of get your work done by three and watch games, and then have dinner, and then watch more games, and then <laughs> write something, and then and then you know, without you didn't have to stay up till all hours, didn't have to get up super in the morning. It was great. Um, but then also, um, yeah. Uh, so I think that that the west you know the western time zones are are in many ways easier um the the even in in central time zone where i am now like the late game of a doubleheader is a, it can be a struggle right uh yeah i'm on the east coast and i covered a playoff see i've been on the west coast before like in covering games but even covering games in mountain time is just so much more convenient <laughs> so i reread your introductory post for the athletic and um in there, you sort of emphasized how while you were working in the NBA, uh, you began to find out that, uh, at least in your position, it was more about application than discovery, and you began to miss the discovery part of the process. I'm just wondering if you could get into just a little bit more detail about what was it about that discovery process you, you missed so much? Um, it's A lot of it is, if you're if you're doing kind of open-ended discovery work it's okay to spend some time on something and have nothing come of it okay. um you can you can you can drill a dry hole and 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 well you know okay i learned that that's not a thing so that that that's that's not nothing um you just don't have uh, in a team setting you just don't have time for that like if you you know you're you're not getting those hours back and there's there's enough on your plate that that you know that that non-productive time is uh is is it can be pretty dangerous um so you end up uh kind of moving away from those more exploratory things to well this works uh how can i how can i explain it better how can i uh parse it more finely how can i you know uh you know in, in that sort of way so you 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 tend to focus more on what you already know kind of works 
because you you know you can you can you can productionize something based on those things. Um, and so this is like kind of jumping right into the next question, but I saw that when you were doing one of your fun Twitter mailbags that you said you would consider working in the NBA again. Are those sort are there those type of roles where you get to focus on discovery or, or be more exploratory? Are those prevalent or available within the league? Or is that sort of a, a novel concept because it is more about we need to see more, I guess, measurable production from the time that you're investing? Um, I think that that's sort of the the larger a team's uh, analytics staff is. The uh, is sort of informally, it seems, the more kind of exploratory time that the individual staff members are allotted. Um, it's just it's the kind of thing that okay, the stuff that we need to the 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 what more widely you can spread the stuff that just needs to happen every day across a group. Uh, obviously, that leaves more time for other things, and you know some of the some of the more time is is uh, is um kind of that 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 uh, unstructured exploration time. Uh, I I know of at least one team that that you know uh, that has a, a large staff that kind of builds you know. Uh, okay, ten percent of your time every week is 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 kind of almost mandated to be spent on on stuff like that, and that's and that's you know that that that's the kind of thing that that with scale you have you have a little bit more room to do that. Um, but I would say for the majority of teams in the league, um, that is not the day to day experience of <laughs> of the analysts <laughs> having that kind of having that kind of extra extra work time to devote to that kind of thing. Even if you have a good idea, you just don't you know. A lot of them are uh, the reason why it's a new thing is is people haven't really done it yet because it's hard, and right. those are things you kind of want to take a, a you know a fresh run at with a with a clear head, and so it's not like okay, well, I got everything I need to do today done. It's three forty five. Let me start it on this. Right. Uh, it's not. It's not. Uh, that that that's not a conducive situation to 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 really you know fully exploring, especially since some of the first stages of that exploration are are uh, the very fun uh, data assembly tasks that everyone loves doing. And this is sort of, I guess, it, it's like in that, under that umbrella and leads into the next question I was going to ask you, when you're doing, you're focusing on, I, I guess, the, the non-exploratory stuff like that, was there anything that was, like, how do you go about communicating what you're finding or what you're trying to implement, you know, to the team? Is there, I'm sure it's different in every front office, but is it, a lot of people just think it's, you know, the analysts are just, you know, handing out sheets or dictating the numbers or determining everything. And I'm just curious how important it became to communicate, you know, these conclusions that you were drawing, information that you were finding, just just anything to the team at uh, maybe more of the, the on-court level. Um, and I, I think that's a that's a big part of, of why kind of the the explore, exploratory stuff is harder is because, you you know, you're especially something that's new your 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 kind of range of uncertainty over what you found is larger and then um communicating level of certainty is always difficult uh, for uh, you know you're dealing with people who aren't used to thinking probabilistically and it's like oh I'm I'm pretty sure it's like what does that mean oh okay um so that, that so that's that that's sort of a barrier also um so but yeah the 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 communication of what has been found is you know is basically the entirety of the uh, productive function of the job. Um, you know, the 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 reason why exploratory stuff would be 
you know, is something that is that is valued where it is, is because, okay, maybe not today, maybe not tomorrow, but in, you know, a month, six months, a year, however long, this will this will lead to something that we can then communicate more broadly and, you know, make a make a competitively advantageous impact. Um, So that like everything does have to tie back to that on some level. It's just, you know, having having the room uh, to to get to that point is 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 really where the shortfall is. Now, I, so I enjoyed your article on The Athletic and Ben Falks, I thought, wrote a nice one. I cleaned the glass as well on the mid-range jumper. I guess we can call it an issue or whatever it is. Um, before I get to the actual meat of that question, has now your experience from being in an NBA front offense, has, has that impacted the way now you're, you're writing and maybe trying to relay information at all to the readers? Um. It's a good question. Yeah, probably. I mean, it's uh, um, there. There, uh, there was a lot of, uh, I think, a confirmation of complexity. Um, certainly was uh, like the, the, the from a, a, a statistical standpoint, some of these things might seem black and white, but then you kind of learn like how it is it, like affecting and interacting with the actual people making these decisions and. Uh, it, it becomes more complex than, well, the right thing to do is clearly blah, blah, blah. Um, right. So that, but that was something I suspected, uh, kind of before I got in, into the league. And, and really that was just sort of confirmed by the experience of, of actually doing it. So in that mid range article, uh, which everyone should check out on the mid range jumper at the athletic written by Seth part. Now, one of the lines that really stood out to me was you wrote to put it another way, the players left and in, less involved in the offense are standing in more productive places. Is that, I'm, I know there's no, I guess one way to nutshell this mid range debate or contextualize the value of the mid range, but is, is that as close as it comes to maybe nutshelling it? Or is there even another way that you would put it? Is there another level that I'm missing? Because I'm someone who enjoys, you know, the statistical uh, and the analytic side of basketball. And yet, even, you know, when I go through articles, you know, your articles, I'm always learning new stuff. And even some of the things can be uh, complex and I have to read it over again. And so I'm, I'm always, when it's a debate like this, where it seems that everyone wants there to be this black and white uh, this uh, side, and there's no gray area when it really seems that it needs to be more nuanced than that. I'm just curious if how you would sort of a nutshell what what the issue is or what it is that NBA Twitter seems to be arguing over bi-weekly at this point. No, I think I mean I think when it comes down to it like that's now this is now that kind of the Steph Curry effect is really starting to express it itself uh it, it express itself across the league in terms of of players taking more and deeper um off the dribble threes um I think this is changing a little bit. But yeah, for the most part like the shot that went away was you know, the, 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 the power forward standing on the baseline at 17 feet, shooting a jumper off of ball rotation. That's now, uh, uh you know, that's the, the offenses are now set up, but that's a, you know, a, a small forward standing in the corner shooting a three. Um, and so that's, you know, that's the, if you're, you know, if, if kind of one type of shot is going away, uh, or, or, or is increasing another kind of, kind of shot has to be going away because there's, you know, there's one basketball, um, and so like paying attention to the shot that's being replaced is kind of the, uh, um, you know, it, the, you're not telling the whole story if you're not, if you're not saying we're doing this more, but ignoring the, the, whatever it is that you're doing less. And so, yeah, 
the guy who is not really directly involved in the play standing in a different spot is really the crux of what a lot has gone on. And in that piece, you also kind of pointed out that it's not the necessarily all the off the dribble twos from stars that have gone away either. And so is there an element to that where it's these, you know, these guys, because they're so good at creating their own shot that they're always going to have the license to take that type of look, or is it, you know, is it, is that oversimplifying it by saying, you know, Kevin Durant can take whatever shot he wants. I mean, no, I mean, it's part of it is like Kevin Durant can take whatever shot he wants because he can make any shot. Um, But it's, but also, yeah, that's, I mean, that's, that's another way of saying Kevin Durant's really good. Um, But it's all, you know, ideally every shot you really, ideally every shot you take would be a dunk. Um, Right. Like if that, that would be perfect offense if you just dunked every time on the floor. <laughs> uh, that's not really possible because the other team's trying. And so, okay, well, you, okay, you can't just make them guard the basket, have to make them guard somewhere else too. So every shot should be, you know, a dunk or an open three. Okay, well, the defense still is, is trying. So at a certain point, because of the shot clock, you have to take a shot. And so, you know, sometimes somebody has to take a, a, a not theoretically perfect shot. Um, so having, uh, you know, the guys who can do that, take those not theoretically perfect shots and do them well, uh, tend to be the better players because those shots are hard, which is why they're, you know, theoretically imperfect shots. It's not a, it's not a, uh, you know, first principles thing. It's empirical that those shots are harder. Um, and you know, and it's almost, you know, it, it, it's, it's almost circular reasoning to say, but it Mm -hmm. makes perfect sense that the guys who can actually do the harder thing are better. Um, and so that's how it ends up. And if they're better at that, they're probably better at other things. So that's how it ends up that kind of the star players are the ones who get to take, you know, these, these, you know, tough contested mid range that you end up having to take sometimes. And sometimes you maybe take that you shouldn't, but there's kind of an, there's a, you know, not to get too in the weeds of like game theory and stuff like that. Oh, please but, get in you, the weeds. <laughs> no, no, but you have, I mean, you have to know, but if, you know, it's, it's, it, you know, if, think about how easy would you be to, if you played poker and the only, t- only time you ever went all in was when you had aces. Well, no one would ever call you when you went all in. Right. So, uh, you know, they, they figure that out first. So sometimes you, you kind of have to show yourself to be willing to do something that's quote suboptimal to, to open up, uh, kind of, uh, uh, on a on a, across the range of possessions to open up kind of the the maximize your opportunity across the range sometimes you have to sacrifice a, you know very short term value in an individual possession um and uh you know the what that level of you have to take a certain number of mid range shots you know in in real world conditions what that what that level actually is i don't know but yeah at some point you have to you know, there ha- you have to have variety that forces the other team to guard multiple different things, um, and it, and and so there's there's still there's value in that. It's just you know, you want to you obviously you want to maximize your good shots and minimize your bad shots, and that's I don't that doesn't seem in any way controversial to me. Well, it's not. So I read you. It makes sense. I listen. I'm listening to you talk now. It makes sense. Why do you have an idea of why the mid range debate has, or the mid range topic, has become such a, a hostile one? The way I put it to you in the email was: Is this just like the social media's disease of oversimplification? Because I don't get why it's become such a contentious issue. Because again, you look at it from a balanced perspective like yours, or you dig deeper into it, and everything you say, everything you write makes sense and there shouldn't I, I, there shouldn't be 
any there you're right there shouldn't be any controversiality to a team trying to generate the best look for its offense on that possession uh, i mean that that's some of it is social media some of it is just like people are kind of especially like you can i think uh, it, this is not a, a formal area of research but certainly observationally and reading other people's research on it it seems like um like Experts in a field sometimes have a hard time accepting changes to kind of the, you know, the ground underneath their feet, because mm-hmm. you know if you've if if you've learned some ground truths about basketball and then they get upended by the by you know the the competitive environment changing to the point where the shot that was like you know if you're if you're a, a basketball coach of a certain age like you were around when the three point shot was a gimmick. Like, and you may have your formative years, it may not have even existed. So there's, you know, there's an adjustment and, and, you know, some people are better at adjusting to that than others, but especially if you've kind of reached a certain level of, of kind of expertise in one aspect, like, well, this has worked for me my whole life. Why do, why should I change? Mm-hmm. Um, now that I, I don't think that's the best way to go through life, but that's, right. But that, but that, you know, that's, that, that's, I think, understandable. Um, and, and I think it, it, it explains in many ways sort of what's going on. And then, then you get into the, you know, the, 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 how, how not just social media, but like kind of mass media can, you know, flatten nuance in any sort of debate. Um, and, and people not recognizing that, the change in strategy is a result in also of the changing of the changing rules and competitive environment. So yeah, the, you know, in, in a certain style of play that worked in, 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 you know, 1998 <laughs> might not work now, um, both because of rules and, and the competitive environment. And that's fine. Like that's, you know, that's, that's, that, that's normal. Like the, the rules change all the time and things that worked, in one era don't work anymore because of them. Um, that's, that, that, that's the same in, in, in any, in any field. Um, but that, that doesn't mean it's, it's easy for people who have learned under one system to adopt easily to the new system. And, and, and I'll, I'll add that it's like, you know, in five years, the next thing will come along and, and that's a good point. And people who've, who have, you know, uh, people who view kind of pace and space as almost like uh, spiritual principles, rather than <laughs> than than like a like in a no, I'm serious. Rather than like uh, something that that is empirically better in the current environment, like they're going to have the same kind of, you know, in five or ten years, they're going to be the people, you know, well, you you can't win with post ups or or whatever if if the the rules change like if the if the lane shrinks or something like that so that all of a sudden you can you can get deep post position at 4 feet that could easily like maybe that becomes the dominant method of scoring again but there'll be people well but I got to draw a switch and get your you know if you don't if you can't get your point guard on an island against the center how can you win well it, it'll switch again and and then you know the there'll be people who are kind of locked into what is now the current competitive meta and, and don't adjust. I think I can be just to use myself as an example, guilty of that, where I have a, a small ball affinity and it sometimes comes to the detriment of, you know, you shouldn't be a fan of that lineup because it's, it's terrible defensively or it's terrible at rebounding, but because it's versatile offensively or looks good on paper. And then now we see teams 
I wouldn't say it's becoming like necessarily this like a huge trend again, but where someone like myself might have been lower on the 76ers heading into the season than the consensus or lower on the Pacers heading into the this season than the consensus is that I tend to get caught up in these principles that, that I believe in uh, maybe because, you know, I came started covering the league kind of when that, when that became like, I don't even know if you want to say not the norm, but it became like the trendy cool thing to do. And so I find myself guilty of, you know, maybe I should be higher on the Sixers because they have all that talent and it's, you know, maybe it'll be a struggle offensively and it has been at points, but it's clearly going to work defensively. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's, you know, yeah, it's a, um, you know, you can, it's, it's a, it's a trap that's easy to fall into. Well, the Warriors did blah, blah, blah. Well, you can't rebuild the Warriors because the Warriors can't even rebuild the Warriors. Right. 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 I mean, it's, you know, there's, it's a, you know, the, the, the archetypical team is, is usually kind of a, you know, an accident of history. So like, that's a great way to put it. And so, you you know, you're, you're trying to put yourself in position where you can become the next accident. You're not, you're not, you're not trying to, you know, it's, it's, it's uh, recreating the last one is, is, you know, will I, I there's any number of cliches you can use here about lightning striking twice or whatever but it's it's like you know just you know take the individual situation as it comes and and you know get good players and figure out how to make them work together and and you know yeah there are certain kind of combinations that have shown to work but like that doesn't mean that that's the right answer it just means it's a right answer this next question is the one that I was probably most eager to ask you, which probably means that it's a bad question. But I know there's a lot more that goes into it when teams are going to measure a, an outside player's potential fit. And I'm sure it, it also varies by is the player you're tw- trying to acquire, whether it's free agency or trade a star, or are they more of a complementary piece or are you trying to make them a, a number three? Is there anything, though, analytically, when trying to measure an outside player's potential fit uh, with the team that you might look at statistical traits or, or anything like that, that can help uh, gauge that potential fit. And again, if it's, I'm sure it varies on the type of player, but I'm just wondering if there's, you know, if, if it's a complimentary piece, if what you're necessarily from an analytics standpoint, really looking at to see how they might fit in on the court. Uh, that's, I mean, that's, it's, yes, you're looking at that. Uh, it's really hard. Um, there's uh, it's certainly in public, no one has done a great job of sort of quantifying context in a way. So, all right, uh, like, you know, say that, that, you know, the, the player really simplifying it down. Okay. For, for team a, the player is going to run, pick and roll 60% of the time, uh, ISO 10% of the time and stand in the corner 30% of the time. Uh, you kind of get an idea of how good he is at those three things. And then for your team, he would ISO 50% of the time, stand in the corner 40% of the time, and run pick and roll 10% of the time. So if you kind of – if you had if you, if you had figured those things out, then you could maybe reweight his his performance across those, uh, across those things in such a way that you might see, okay, well, here's how we think his performance is going to change. Um, it's much more complex than that. Um, and I don't think anyone's really done a great job yet of, of breaking it down, uh, to a level where you can, you can, you can kind of, you know, you can play with the sliders that way. Mm -hmm. Um, so that's, so it's, 
you know, it's 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 probably more informal doing it now. All right, for us, he's gonna he's gonna get uh, he's not gonna have to have to create with the ball as much, so we can discount that. Like that's a nice nice skill to have, but he won't use it as much here. But he's gonna shoot a lot. More, he's gonna shoot a lot more kind of standstill open threes. So, like the difference between him being just okay and him being like you know a knockdown forty five percent shooter on those looks makes a bit makes a much bigger difference for us than it does with this current team. If you're, you know, you're saying you're, you're a really good team and you're somehow adding like the, 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 the best player from a, from a, a you know, a, a, a middling team who's going to come become your third or fourth best player or something like that. Like, you know, you know, maybe, maybe an example from this year would be, uh, you know, uh, at least the playoff version of last year's Pacers, like, Okay, Bogdanovich is moving from a very different, you know, very kind of a primary role, which I think we saw in the playoffs. He was maybe not super suited to, <laughs> yeah, right. to a to a more complementary role with Utah. And then how might that, how how might his expressed skill set deal with that? Um, like that's that's hard, and and I don't think anyone has done a great job of of really measuring what either the past or the future situation are to the standpoint where you can even from a, a formal statistical standpoint do kind of those translations that's that's something that that would be a uh that, that, that that's that's a really deep area of research um that would take a while and but would be you know if you figure that out would have would you know, be tremendously fruitful in the long term, but it's like there's a lot of pain to get from here to there. So, is there any contextual value then in saying, like, if if I was to use Danny Green as an example, where you know the Lakers or or other teams are just looking at him in free agency as maybe you consider him, can he be deemed a close to universal fit because he's someone on offense who, with Toronto, took eighty percent of his shots while using one dribble or less, so you know he's not really going to command the the number of possessions or even just the touch time and that fits around your stars or is that is that then an oversimplification of trying to apply a potential fit with an outside player no i don't think that i mean that's 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 a that's a perfectly valid simplification and that's that's kind of that's sort of more the level we're at uh now he's a danny green's pretty is is a pretty easy case because he's he's been around long enough and his like skill set is right you know, especially offensively, is pretty, pretty well understood. Um, but it's also a, a pretty universal, uh, a pretty universally valuable skill set. So that's 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 you know a pretty easy case. So then, um, like a harder would be like D'Angelo Russell to the Warriors would be in it like a more extreme case of where maybe that's the most difficult to see how you could envision that working out long term. Yeah, something like that, or you know, a guy, yeah, a guy moving into a you know, a very different role. I mean, you know, predicting how Malcolm Brogdon would look this year being, especially with Oladipo out, uh, Oladipo out and Bogdanovich gone, like being like the clear number one option in, in Indy. Like there's just, there's there's not a lot, not a lot to draw from about what that, what that might have looked like. And, and so far it has looked, I mean, they've been, you know, overall disappointing, but he started the season really well. And, um, whether, whether that keeps up or not, like who knows, but, um, but you know, there, there would have been reasons to think it would go well and reasons to think it would go poorly, uh, based on kind of past history. 
um, or like just in terms of, of his kind of expressed skill set. And then on top of that, you have the, you know, the, the whole, well, guys get better also in, in games. Mm-hmm. So, so it, it's a, it's a really, it's a really difficult problem, but it doesn't mean you don't try to solve it. It just means that no one's really there yet. With the caveat that I'm not trying to get any state secrets from you, but since going from covering the league, um, nylon calculus with nylon calculus to now working within it with the bucks now, covering it again as a member of the athletic, is there, after making those transitions, is there any specific data or information that's not publicly available that you wish was more accessible to the, the average NBA fan or even the average NBA analyst? Um, I think, I mean, just having the, the next level down of tracking data from what's available on NBA.com is, you know, they actually it, 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 it was available for a time uh, back in the good old days. But just <laughs> even having like, you know, shot and rebound level data. And like not on an aggregate basis, but on an individual shot level, it allows for for kind of so much uh, deeper analysis of these kind of things. So that's 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 the easy big one. One of the things I've always struggled with, and maybe this is just me, so this question it could just be irrelevant to everyone else, is trying to gauge lineup effectiveness and deciding what's an adequate sample size when you're looking at playing time or just the number of possessions spent on the floor together, and then how do you really measure how well it's doing? And then I saw, uh, not that I was stalking your Twitter, but I follow you on Twitter, obviously, so you had the mailbag where you're talking how you do favor the more specific combinations when you're not only looking at who's on the court together, but maybe they're smaller combinations, you know, three man combinations with who's also off the court. And I was just wondering if you'd be able to expand on, on that or, or why you find something like that to be so much more instructive than just looking at, Hey, this five man unit has a net rating of, you know, plus 22.2 in 800 possessions or something like that. Oh, 800 possessions. So it's one of like, yeah, that's so a, it's one of like, it's if, if, yeah, if you, if you, if you, you know, you're maybe talking they're about coached five, by Tom five men. <laughs> No, and yeah, if you're finding like five man lineups with 800 possessions, it's like okay, that's you know, there's well, I don't know, 25 in the league over the course of a season that'll get there. So that that's the big reason why is you can, is if you define lineup almost like colloquially, like okay, we're talking about when, you know, I don't know, when the Clippers play small this year. What does that what does it mean when the Clippers play small? And then you kind of you you know you 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 okay, it's it's. Uh, Kawhi kind of lineups with Kawhi at the four and Harrell at the five. I don't know that if that's if that's really what it's going to be, but you but so it's you know you start to you know sort down that way, and then you get to actually meaningful sample size of of possessions, and then you know meaningful is you know five hundred kind of at the low end, but you get to that a lot faster when you uh, kind of are both are at the same time general and specific about the lineup. So it's not just like the two man combo of Kawhi and Harrell, because, you know, maybe they're playing with, with, uh, with, you know, Patrick Patterson too, or, or, uh, you know, whoever else. Uh, so really, but it's really like those two as the two biggest Clippers on the floor are really like the characteristic of the lineup you're looking at. You can get to a reasonable sample size much faster if you, you know, go to what, you know, the, the phenomenon you're actually trying to study. Um, and so that's what, that's sort of my preference. And, um, and, you know, if you just look at like two person combinations, then there's all kinds of weirdness about who else they're playing with and not. And, and you're, you know, you're, you're, you know, you're capturing, you know, if you were, again, if you're going to look at Kawhi and Harold, you, you'd get 
okay, 60% of their lineups are the ones we're talking about, but 40% aren't. So you've already kind of using that pair as the analysis, you're already kind of very divorced from, you know, the thing you're actually trying to look at. And I'm sure it's not, there's no exact sample size, but I saw you mentioned like a 500 possession is sample. Is that like sort of the the demarcation line for you of, of where you think you have a significant sample? I'm sure two man combinations are different because I'm sure those really get up there. Um, when you're looking at the number of possessions, is there's so many different combinations that apply, but when you're getting into three and four and even five man samples, is that 500 possession mark sort of a, a, a nice magic number for you? Yeah, I think so. I mean, that, that usually, that works out to around 250 minutes and that's, that's something. Um, and, and, yeah, the, and again, the problem with the, uh, you know, as you're saying, yeah, with a two man sample, you get to that number faster. The problem is, is again, you're any given two per two man like lineup combo you're actually talking about like you know depending on the team you might be talking about like four or five different like what you would recognize as four or five different lineups like okay you know like uh you know again Kawhi and pat beverly playing together well some of their minutes are going to be starting lineups and some of them are going to be those two guys with three bench players and some of them are going to be who knows what else and so you're you know, you're, you're collapsing, you know, those three or four different things into one like pocket of analysis to, and you're not really, and you're not really sure like what's going into that stew. If you're just looking at it in like the two person combo, which is why kind of the, the, the hybrid way of looking at it to again, actually like, what's the, what's the, what's the thing of this lineup we're, we're talking about? Like if I'm, if I'm talking about how a team's playing, like, okay, you know, like, a a Philly bench unit this year or something like mm-hmm. that. What does that mean? Like that's, <laughs> you know, is that like, no, seriously, but is that, that that's like, okay, that's, you know, Embiid is off the floor. At least one of Simmons and Horford is on and dot, 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 or something like that. You can, you know, what are we, what are, we, what, what's the question we're answering here? Um, is, is sort of uh, what the, the, that has to come back to rather than just kind of, you know, hacking for well this three this three-man lineup is is uh plus 25 net rating and in 400 possessions so therefore dot 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 it's like well yeah you can find you can find you know random stuff you know given the 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 number of combinations that exists so like going in with a question rather than kind of just like data mining for, you know, trying to find, trying to find a pattern and atmospheric noise almost is, is, is probably the better way to go. This applies to lineups as well, but now is, I wouldn't say it's a weird time, but it's a time in the NBA season where enough games have been played where people want to start drawing conclusions, but the samples are still just wildly small. And so I, it's probably a dangerous time then when you're looking at, you know, people trying to formulate takes or just legitimate opinions. Is there any, thing that you're looking at this early in the season that you um, view as at least genuine as, as possible when trying to evaluate a team and maybe whether seeing you were right or, or wrong about a team this, this early into the year, or is it still just so soon when we're fewer than 10 games into the season that a lot of the stuff still feels like a ton of noise? Uh, from a stat standpoint, it feels like a ton of noise. I think, I feel like, you know, the things that, that you can start to see are sort of shot profiles um, rotation patterns, stuff like that. And then from there, it's, it's almost more qualitative. Like, mm, this doesn't really look like this doesn't look right. Whatever's going right. on doesn't look right. Um, 
and then you kind of you can go back to the go back and and see well okay that's just me reacting to them they haven't made you know that when they have that lineup on the floor they're shooting 22 percent from three okay that's that that that's small sample size noise so maybe give it a little more time or it's like no they're actually they're not that that lineup isn't like shooting terribly they're just not getting good shots and they're turning the ball over a ton so yeah that lineup didn't that 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 concept isn't working um so a, a lot of it is is sort of um is, is is more that like the like what teams are trying to do rather than what they're accomplishing is sort of a lot of from a stat standpoint kind of where we are now and then you know from a, 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 a like a player standpoint it's it's you know there is a lot of yeah it's probably reacting more to aesthetics right now than it mm-hmm. will be like with a bigger sample size but that's not you know that's that that again those style things are are those those establish themselves more quickly and that's useful information for if a guy if is a guy playing like not necessarily better or worse is he playing differently than he was you know is Brandon Ingram shooting a lot more threes and getting to the rim less in in New Orleans than than he was in Los Angeles that's that I don't like that being a good or bad thing it's probably too early to say but it is a it is a it is an actual you know, thing uh, it yeah it is a factual thing that may or may not survive like you know the 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 pellies like putting their actual intended team on the floor when whenever zion comes back so you know maybe that's not the best example but still like that's like that is a thing that is happening um and then you know evaluating within that um as we kind of build more of a sample so we can get an idea of you know Okay, has has Ingram actually improved as a shooter? Um, like it's too early to tell definitively. He's shot it well. He's shot well from the free throw line, which are are good signs. But there's probably also some regression coming because um, that's sort of how it works. Yeah, um, I will get you out of here with this one, and thank you once again for your time. With all those caveats that it's so early. Uh, being applied are there any teams or players that have particularly surprised you in a good way or or bad way this season if you had to you know I know it's like maybe picking a needle off a haystack right now but if you had to pick maybe one team or player that's been most disappointing or one team or or player that's that's most surprised you pleasantly this year uh who what would they be I mean to this I mean to this point I I I think I'm I'm hardly the only person to say this but I gotta say that the the Suns have been have been super like they 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 are they've had some real wins this year and they, yes. they, you know they they beat and and they have these have not been like these have not been fluky wins that they've had over over good teams either these have been yeah we outplayed them we kicked their butts uh and and so that's so that like i don't know i that, i i especially for teams that have been bad for a long time i I'm I tend to be fairly stubborn in my priors in terms of this year it's going to be different sure it is. <laughs> uh so that like I was, you know, I you know, I I liked some of the players they added like uh like you know Baines and Ricky Rubio are 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 good players who I you know I thought would make them better. I I didn't uh it's not too early to say that they're that they're definitive definitively good, but they've been pretty good so far. Um, and, uh, so that's been kind of on, on one side, on the other side, like, I think, 
you know, the Warriors, the Warriors haven't been this. I thought the Warriors were, were going to, I, I, I mean, I picked the Warriors to miss the playoffs, not to tap myself on the back because I didn't anticipate, you know, Steph breaking his hand and blah, blah, blah. But it's like, you know, I, I did think that there was a reasonable chance that, that Steph and Draymond were going to not make it through the season just because of the load they'd have to carry if they were going to try to be good. And the rest of their roster is just pretty poor. Um, and you just kind of, you, you kind of can't get past that. Um, so they, they haven't really totally surprised me. Um, obviously the, the Kings have been a tremendous disappointment after being kind of the, the, the league past gem last year. Yeah. Um, um, I, I've like, I didn't, you know, you look at their talent on paper and want so much more for the bulls. That's, yeah. that's probably my most disappointing team right now is they, they just should be like, I don't know. I don't love Zach Levine. Um, and if he's your best player, that's a problem. Yeah. Is, is he their best player? I don't know. Um, probably not actually, but whatever, like, it, like, they just they should be better um and it's just kind of not really working for despite like having many stretches where hey these guys are pretty oh no there it goes again <laughs> like uh last like last night there was like oh wow the bulls really kind of handling the lake oh the lakers started trying oh it, oh no it's over it's done it's lebron has a triple double again and, and they just yeah, kind they of the lakers played for about lakers played for about eight minutes and, huh? and kind of blew them out which is you know a good sign for the lakers and a, a bad sign for the bulls yeah they give up when they give up looks at the rim and corner threes they seem to give them up in droves this year i don't know if that's a your colleague Stephen no wrote about it. i don't know if that's a symptom of their aggressive pick and roll coverage thus far but they i was looking at those numbers last night after they lost and was surprised at how poorly they ranked in uh, frequency of attempts allowed from the corners and at the rim and no they i mean they were you know they were if there was two teams, like even just like a week into the season, that their defensive profile was, oh, it was them <laughs> and New Orleans. And Chicago doesn't really have the excuse of having played like Houston, uh, which is, you know, a team that's just because of how they play offense is kind of kind of goose those numbers a little bit. And so there it's uh, it's 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 not great there so far. Well, Seth, I really do appreciate you taking 45 minutes out of your day to speak with me. Uh, for anyone who's not followed Seth on Twitter, what are you doing with your life, number one? But remedy that immediately at Seth Partnow. Uh, Anchorage man, he calls himself on Twitter, which is which is great. The handle is at S-E-T-H-P-A-R-T-N-O-W. He's an NBA analyst for The Athletic. He's also one of the co-hosts of the Nerder She Wrote pod for The Athletic with Mo DeKeel, who you are all familiar with around these parts, and Dave Dufour. It's a, it's a really fun listen and again previously he was director of basketball research for the milwaukee bucks uh seth thanks so much once again i'm, I'm sure down the road it won't be too soon because i won't bother you but I'm, i will definitely pester you again in the future i'm sure uh, thanks a lot for having me for the one standing guard for the eagle-eyed for the knights in shining armor and for all those who support them we are granger your experienced safety partner, offering supplies and solutions for every industry, committed to helping keep your facilities safe and your people safer. Call clickgranger.com/safety or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.